Hebrews 10 is where we will begin. Tonight we're going to look at our last of the counterfeit gospels. Uh, this will be the churchless gospel. We're going to read a pastor's, uh, one of their favorite verses, or two verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And I'm, I'm going to read it from the Bible and pretend like I don't have it memorized so I can tell all of you this verse. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, go to church. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit. We will um, expand on this idea. Now, before we get into it, I want you to imagine you're from another planet, and you are touring the earth. Um, on a Sunday, you're approaching a place of worship in the midst of a very busy city. And as you get there, the first thing you notice is a colorful sea of parked cars, a large parking lot just filled with cars. And your first thought is it must be uh, very popular. This is a popular place. Um, pilgrims are making their way inside and coming here to experience something that adds value to their lives. Uh, the architecture is clearly recognizable. As soon as you see it, you understand what it is. Everyone seems to know exactly where they're headed. Once you're inside, you see signs that tell you where to go. There are people there to greet you. Some of the walls have banners and flags and other signs. The place is beautiful. You're ready to just be lost in all of the space, to forget about what time it is, to become immersed in the place and the people and everything that's going on around you. The colors reflect the current season. You see orange and brown, and maybe now you see some, uh, uh, str some straw men and some hay and some leaves uh, decorating. Uh, in the main hallways, people extend their hands to greet you. Uh, their faces are friendly. They offer you help to find your way. They shepherd you through this experience. And just before you leave, you reach for your wallet. And finally, you say goodbye, exit, get in your vehicle, and drive away. Now, um, what place have I just described? What do you think? Cracker Barrel. Okay. Uh-huh. Sure, it sounds a lot like church, right? Sounds a lot like the Cracker Barrel, too, apparently. I'm not describing the church at all. I'm describing the local mall. Think about it. Big parking lot, recognizable architecture, directory, signs, pictures on the wall that seem to say, you could look like this. Colorful decorations for the season, friendly employees, Pulling your wallet out before you leave. So we might hear all of that and say, well, it also sounds like a place where we go to worship, and that's exactly right. It is a place where many go to worship. The mall is a place of worship. 
just as we could describe a football stadium, the halls of academia, your workplace, a golf course, a church, you name it, it could very easily be a place of worship. The question is, what are we worshiping? But each of these places shapes who we are as worshipers. Our affections, our desires are all formed by the environment that we put ourselves into worship. Our understanding of salvation is molded and is shaped. Our understanding of value and meaning and purpose is shaped by where we go to worship. So, um, up front, we need to understand that doesn't necessarily mean that um, where we worship uh, in terms of location is the issue per se, uh, but rather uh, what the purpose of the gathering is when we're there and how it is conducted. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, In recent years, uh, there's been a strong movement, and it's picked up uh, momentum over the last couple of years. Uh, The local church seems to have uh, gained less and less significance in the lives of those who profess to be Christians. Uh, Some don't understand the importance of the local church, why we gather uh, to do what we do. Uh, Existing primarily, uh, the issue seems to be around the church being an institution, Um, Others belong to local churches, but they don't see the need to uh, be a part of the regular life of the body. So they don't attend regularly, they come and go, uh, and uh, that's uh, maybe on Sunday mornings. Um, So this is tempting, and why I was joking about Hebrews 10, because it's tempting for those who understand the importance of the local church and what the Scriptures call us to. It's very tempting to... um, uh, to not only point to the Scriptures and what they call us to, uh, but to uh, simply um, call us to obedience out of duty without any kind of framework or foundation for why we do that. It's very easy for me to stand up and say, uh, go to church because God said so, without t- talking about why it is. Why would it be important that God would want us to be in church? Why is it important that we, uh, that we honor the Lord's Day and come together on the Lord's Day for worship? Why are these things important? So, it's important that every Christian understands that as believers, we are the church. But in addition to that, that there is an institutional element to the church. And I argue, uh, not because we simply created it to be that way, but out of uh, the scriptures, uh, we've been able to uh, derive what God requires of us, and that takes on a feel of an institutional church. This is what the author of Hebrews is speaking to, the great honor that there is that we have to meet together regularly. Um, he, he is calling us to, uh, to reject the idea that we wouldn't meet together. Let's see. Uh, verse 25, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, he's saying we, we need each other, and we need each other more and more as we progress in this life, as we progress as Christians. We don't have less of a need of one another. We have a greater need of one another. 
And so he's encouraging us and calling us uh, to be actively pursuing relationship with God's people in the church. So let's look at the counterfeits and where they've come from and some ideas about the church, the local church specifically. And as we talk about that, we're referring to um, the, uh, the institutional form of the church, which I would certainly say we are, and I gladly accept that, and we'll talk about that. Um, so as evangelicals, we emphasize the need for a personal, heartfelt commitment to God, but the danger of overemphasizing that is that we downplay the need for community, that we are gathering as a people of God together for a specific purpose, and that we need each other. We've talked about that quite a bit around here. Uh, so here are some versions of what we're calling the churchless gospel. Uh, the first, the institutional church is a pagan invention. There's a recent book that came out a couple years ago uh, by George Barna and Frank Viola called Pagan Christianity. Um, the entire focus of the book was an attempt to uh, what they said, and I quote, to explore the roots of our church practices, uh, which seems uh, totally fine. Let's do that. Uh, but the focus is to go beyond that and to critique the current worship practices of the church um, and get to a place where eventually they say everything that we do Everything we do, preaching, collecting of an offering, having various ministries that we do, um, having buildings we meet in, all of these things, uh, that they go beyond saying, not only are they not biblical, they're rooted in paganism. That these are teachings of the pagans that Christians have simply uh, adapted uh, to suit their needs and so what we do on Sundays and the rest of the week as a church institutionally, is nowhere near the Christianity that Jesus had envisioned, but rather it is an invention and a work of paganism. So, uh, the authors of this book are convinced that the way to go is that we need to be in, uh, uh, we need to meet in houses and uh, do what uh, they call organic church and uh, that this is the way of the future because it is an o the only way to authentically represent what we see in the past. So, uh, real quick, just so we know um, mainly what that sort of thinking is rooted in, look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 will begin in verse 42. We're uh, looking at what the, uh, what the early church was doing. What were they doing as they were meeting? This was immediately following the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. 
Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So we see four things going on in the church. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So, those who are proponents of the uh, organic church movement would look at a passage like this and say, well, this is, this, is, uh, this is simply believers meeting together in their homes, eating meals together, uh, and as a part of the meal, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. They're talking about what they've learned from the apostles. They're praying for one another. Um, but this doesn't say anything about preaching sermons, about us coming and sitting and listening to a sermon, meeting in a building that we're paying for, we could instead take all of the money that we are giving to the church and instead give it to meet the needs of those who are, uh, who are poor, those who need, uh, who need our help. So uh, this would be uh, one of a few passages that would be turned to. So the argument goes, for almost 2,000 years, the church has been seriously misguided. Layers of tradition have stifled the true Christian experience. And so in order to recover uh, the early church of the apostles, we must see the church as an organic entity, which means there is no hierarchical leadership, which means that the role of pastor is not actually uh, what we believe the Bible teaches, the role of deacon is not actually what we would say uh, the role of the deacon is, uh, but rather we all uh, simply join hands and love each other and talk about what we are learning on our own. Um, so the argument is, and several books have been written, to encourage Christians today to consider abandoning the organized church and starting home groups and um, organic church movements, uh, that they would have some form of fellowship without structure, without any kind of uh, authority given to anyone specifically or any group of people specifically, uh, but that we all simply come together and share our experience. Um, now, I want to say up front that it is very possible, and we've seen in church history, that Tradition can be damaging to the church. Roman Catholicism is strongly rooted in tradition to the point of heresy, to the point of completely departing from Scripture's teaching. Eastern Orthodoxy is strongly rooted in tradition, and they will tell you. I'm, uh, I'm friends with an Orthodox priest, uh, and we go back and forth all the time. Uh, they reject the idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone. They will tell you uh, who is going to interpret scripture for everyone to understand it. Well, the church. Uh, so they believe in tradition and the Bible. So obviously we reject that, and tradition can be very damaging to the church. 
So we have to constantly return to the Scriptures to justify what we're doing, and I think that's important, and I can applaud that for those who are looking at traditions in the church and making a determination as to whether or not they're biblical. That's fine. I agree with that, but believe very strongly that they go much too far. Because we're taking a swipe at all organized forms of church and not in a way that seeks renewal. It's simply a desire to burn it down and do something else altogether. Um, Churches are imperfect because people are imperfect, not because of an organized hierarchy. We're an imperfect church, and we always will be, not because we have elders and deacons and a building we meet in and a sound system that we use to uh, amplify and record, but because all of us are sinners coming together and trying to do life together. That's why we're imperfect, and that's why we always will be until Christ returns. So that is one idea behind churchless Christianity is that everything we do is simply pagan. So we need to abandon it and look again, look afresh at what the Bible calls us to. Um, So let's talk about that for a minute. What are some of the things that uh, we see just at the onset uh, with this idea of organic church? What are we missing from the scriptures or what? shouldn't say we, what are they missing from the scriptures in terms of things that are pretty clearly outlined for us as to what should be going on as we gather? Okay, the preaching of the word, absolutely. There is a huge difference between us coming together in uh, what would be like our small group setting and uh, talking about what we're learning, having discussion and dialogue and uh, and learning together, and uh, this sort of setting is very different from uh, preaching that is to be, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. This is how God is commanding us and leading us. Uh, so the preaching of the Word, absolutely. What else? Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Um, The authority within the local church has been delegated by the Lord to his under-shepherds. And um, this is why we believe it's important to have a plurality of men serving in the role, that not one man has ultimate authority in a local church, uh, but that authority is shared uh, by several men who are gifted and qualified for that position, who are held responsible to the, uh, to the calling of the Scripture, to the truth of the Scripture, to the qualifications of the Scriptures, and uh, they are held accountable by the congregation, by those people who have uh, willingly submitted themselves to the leadership and the authority of those who've been appointed to those offices. So, absolutely. Um, this, and this is one of the main points we'll look at later. I think a lot of this is driven by rugged individualism of our culture. We all want to be our own boss. We don't want authority. Um, So I've got Jesus. I don't need you. (laughs) Sure. What else? The roles of uh, uh, the roles of leadership, pastor, deacon, elder, those things are very important and removed. Okay. Right. How do we do church discipline if there is no church membership, 
if there's no leadership, if there's no one to make uh, those calls of judgment, to bring issues of sin before the church, how do we do church discipline? How do we work out Matthew chapter 18? Uh, it's not It's not possible. If we're just a group that kind of, when we feel like it meets together in my home, uh, and you come and go as you please, um, what do we do when someone's found in adultery? What do we do? There's, there's no, uh, there is no structure for discipline within the church. Um, uh, one, one other, uh, very, um, very important to me, is um, that they would argue that uh, it's pagan that we would, uh, we would pay anyone to preach the gospel. Um, this, this is an important one we need to talk about for a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, we look at the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians specifically as he teaches about uh, that those who, uh, those who make a living out of preaching the gospel, those who are given that role, given that task to bring the gospel uh, to God's people, um, that they should be uh, taken care of by the church, provided for by the church. Well, those uh, of the organic church movement of churchless Christianity uh, would say um, that that simply applied to the apostles. And in fact, Paul said, I don't want to burden the people uh, in the area I'm in by ca- asking them to collect anything to give to me to support me. So um, he, uh, he, uh, he moved away from uh, saying he needed anything or his teaching that uh, they should provide for him. Well, why did Paul forego the collection of an offering when he went to preach in certain places. Does anyone know? Exactly. If you look at it culturally, we're talking about a time when there were uh, people, uh, like we would go to maybe a movie theater or a ball game, Uh, people would go to the theater to hear a great orator speak. Um, And they'd pay them a lot of money to go do that. It was very common in his culture. Uh, he didn't want people to think that he's simply there to get a paycheck. But does that mean Paul was uncared for? He was not being tended to? His needs weren't being provided for? No. One, he worked himself as a tent maker, but the church in Jerusalem was providing for his needs. As he was going to a place where a church already was established, they were providing for his needs. The Philippian church specifically was doing a lot to provide for the needs of Paul. Uh, so it's um, the only argument left then is that, well, that was for the apostles and it's not for the role of office of pastor. But, uh, whoa, excuse me. If you look, um, Paul doesn't designate that this is simply apostles. He talks about those who make their living, who uh, make their way uh, by preaching the gospel. Any, uh, any thoughts, any further thoughts on that uh, version of it? Organic church, pagan Christianity. All right, next. Church is optional for Christians. Church is optional. It's just a nice option intended to help you along the way on your spiritual journey. 
uh, perhaps you can find help elsewhere. For some, maybe it's a college ministry. For others, it's a small group that they're a part of. Others, it's a parachurch organization. Um, you know, maybe for teenagers, it's Young Life. Uh, or guys in the military, it's the Navigators. Or something along those lines. Now, these are, uh, these are some of them, good things. Um, at least uh, to help in discipleship but they're not intended in any way to be a replacement for the local church. And if they are an organization that is uh, worth your time at all, they will tell you we are not a replacement for the local church. Um, so the idea is you can disciple yourself. You find materials that help you. You do Bible studies. You listen to maybe sermons from your favorite preachers on the Internet. Uh, you can grow on your own. Now, again, as I said, some parachurch ministries are effective and helpful, but they cannot be a replacement. Uh, Because then, again, we become those who are simply um, leading ourselves. We pick and choose and get to hear what we want to hear and disregard that which we don't. So what's the problem with this version of the church, or lack thereof? (laughs) Okay, good. There is zero accountability, right? If all I'm doing is doing Bible studies and listening to podcasts or uh, downloading sermons, for if you're over 50 and don't know what I'm talking about, um, or um, if you are, uh, you know, maybe going to someone's, someone's house every now and then for a small group, or you, uh, you go to uh, a college ministry here and there, um, there's, there's no accountability. There's zero accountability. I have no one in my face when I'm in sin saying, uh, what, what's going on in your life? I'm seeing something right now that needs correction. Uh, there is no accountability, and I would say that's probably why it's so attractive to so many. What else? Any other thoughts on that one? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Great point. Sure. They're, and if they do exist, they're probably not very close. They're uh, probably quite shallow. Uh, so, very important point about relationships. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, that um, theologically there's probably um, some shallowness about them. Most parachurch ministries, not all, but most of them, are seeking to appeal to a wider evangelical audience. So um, when it comes down to drilling down to some theological issues, they're just not even going to go there uh, because they don't want to stir the pot too much. Um, So whereas the local church, well... Some local churches don't care so much about that. We'll stir the pot. That's what we're called to do in some ways. Um, so, uh, good. This is, uh, this is another version. The church is simply optional. I don't know if maybe you've met people I have who said, um, I'm a Christian, we don't go to church, um, don't really see the need to. Uh, you know, we read our Bibles as a family, we watch Joel on TV, whatever. Uh, we get what we need. Um, not according to the scriptures, you don't. 
All right, next, the church is a hindrance to true spiritual growth. Now, some people believe that um, church is just holding them back from all of their potential as a Christian. Um, that unfortunately, because of how maybe they've been hurt in a church before, or as they look at those who are within a church, uh, and they see that, um, that many people aren't, uh, aren't striving for holiness and godliness, that they will use that as an excuse to abandon it altogether, to say, why would I want relationship with these people? They're hindering my spiritual growth. They're all hypocrites. They're all uh, saying one thing and doing another. Well, maybe so. Um, I read uh, someone had posted a great quote uh, the other day, or something along the lines of, um, a pastor or a church complaining about being around sinners all the time is the equivalent of a doctor saying, sick, sick, sick. All I see is sick people. Why doesn't anyone come see me who's well? Oh, that's the same kind of complaint. Sin, sin, sin. All I ever have to deal with is people's sin. Well, that's what we're here for. (laughs) That's why we're gathering as a church, to deal with each other's sins in relationship to uh, the Scriptures, pointing one another to Christ, pointing one another to the Gospel. So this, what we do, will never be uh, divorced from the reality that we're all sinners, we all screw up, we all fail each other a lot, and we have to work through those things. That's what grows us as Christians. Confronting someone and working through the issue of you're in sin, it's very blatant, you're being a hypocrite, is a lot harder than walking away from it and saying, I'm done with this. That's hard work. It's uncomfortable, but it is exactly what the Scriptures call us to. Oh, sure. Right. <laughs> sure. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. It's not, uh, and this is in no way to deny this reality that um, there simply are. Uh, a lot of imposters. The Bible tells us that, right? We ought not be surprised when we look at uh, much of uh, much of what calls itself evangelical and Christian to not be uh, either. We shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible tells us that there will be many false teachers seeking to lead people astray. Um, that there will be false doctrine, that there will be um, shallow teaching, that there will be those who preach and teach to, uh, to tickle the ears of the hearers, is the language Paul uses when he's writing to Timothy. So uh, all of this is, uh, is very much what uh, the Bible uh, tells us is going to happen. Um, 
So, I, I say that with uh, much fear of God in that he reminds us uh, through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians to take heed lest we fall. That uh, simply because um, we, uh, we believe that we walk in the truth of the Scriptures and continue to look to the Scriptures, that we never boast in that uh, and become arrogant and prideful about that lest we fall and become just like the others. Uh, we must be very careful um, and understand that we above all men and women should be humble and gracious because we do understand what God has done in his sovereign power to redeem us. I think all of this is no uh, reason that we should ever abandon the church. What it is a challenge for is that we would strive to be more Christ-like. We need to be challenged by the life of Jesus, his teaching, the meaning of his death and resurrection, and what he's called us to as a body of believers. How is it spiritually healthy in any way, shape, or form to walk away from the bride of Jesus? To say, I want nothing to do with her. (laughs) Uh, How does bailing out of the church make us more like Jesus? That's the calling on our life, right? That we are striving for holiness, godliness, to become more Christ-like. How does bailing, walking away from his bride, make us to be more like him? It's quite the opposite. Jesus gave his life for the church. That statement alone would cause uh, riots in some churches. Uh, But he gave his life. He died for Christians. Nobody else for Christians. So, why would we want to be completely disassociated from those people Jesus died for if we're a part of that body? Uh, We look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do we think we're going to be sitting at a table, just me and Jesus, and no one else is around? It's not much of a banquet. (laughs) I'm not that exciting. Um... I'm afraid that people put Jesus up against the church in a very unhelpful way. Well, look, it's very easy to criticize the church. It's easy to criticize any local church. What's much more difficult is to persevere, to walk through the difficulties, to confront sin, to uh, address areas uh, where we know we can uh, help advance what the mission of the church is. That is a whole lot more difficult than walking away. It's the equivalent of divorce as we break covenant with those we have covenanted with. Any other thoughts on that one? Yeah. Sure. It's uh, it's the equivalent of what when when God uh, through the prophets. told the Israelites that they were committing adultery as they went after other gods. Uh, He said, I'm your husband. You are committing adultery as you go to worship Baal, as you go to worship the false gods. Um, Great quote by Charles Spurgeon. The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. It's the equivalent, let's talk about it this way. Ladies, tell me how well this would go over. I have a pretty good idea in my own home. If I came home and said, Felicia, there's some things. Let's just, we need to sit down and talk because I'm noticing a lot of things about you that I just don't like. 
um, yeah, your hair and your nose, they're just really, I just don't, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Um, we need to work that out. And you know what? In fact, I'm probably, um, the girl down the street, she, I like her hair and her nose better, so I'm going to go visit her for a while. Um, and then when I get tired of her, I'm going to go across the street. And it's, why is that any different? It's not. It's no different at all. Um, you have beautiful hair, and I love your nose. <laughs> so the story of churchless gospel focuses on an individual's need for salvation and purpose, and the community of faith is, the, uh, is on the peripherals of the, of the story. So the announcement that they give is that the good news is solely for the redemption of individuals, nothing else. Now, our mission statement as a church is very, uh, very purposefully put together. Ephesus Church is a family of faith that exists to worship God with joy, to love our neighbors, to see transformed lives, and to send and be sent for the spread of the gospel through Jesus Christ. A big portion of that has to do with something that we have to do together to get the gospel out there. Sending, being sent, loving neighbors, seeing transformed lives, uh, that doesn't happen by uh, me simply being at home and listening on my iPod to a few sermons a week. It doesn't happen. And I, uh, I would challenge you to show me the man who is doing that uh, successfully, who's uh, who is an individual Christian who is uh, seeing the gospel advance to the uttermost parts of the world by himself. I don't know how you accomplish the global task of, of missions to do frontier missions to send people to the uttermost parts of the world when you are doing church on to yourself. Right. Sure, absolutely. That's a great point. Everything that would be done, because you're working against Scripture, is void of the Holy Spirit. So there's no power. <laughs> it's powerless. A churchless gospel is a powerless gospel, just like all the others that we have looked at. So, a uh, few more minutes. Why is this attractive? What makes this attractive to people? And this is important to look at because it will help us to avoid it. I think it's attractive because it emphasizes individual spirituality. For a true Christian, we have a desire to worship God with more than just a profession. That our lives are, as Paul says in Romans 12, are, are acts of worship. That everything we do is out of worship unto Him. Uh, so we yearn for a personal relationship, a personal uh, um, walk with the Lord. Um, and we, uh, we don't want certain things to get in the way of that. Um, and we would certainly... Uh, 
confess that we don't simply want to serve the Lord out of duty, but we want there to be delight. We want to have joy in our service unto the Lord. These are good things. But notice that with churchless, a churchless gospel, where does the emphasis remain? It remains on me. <laughs> so it's about what I feel about God or what you feel about God. And really, in the end, it doesn't matter at all what you feel about God. It matters what the Bible says, here's who God is, here's what God has commanded, and here's what God requires of you. It's very easy on our own to turn to our own hearts, which the Bible tells us are deceptive and wicked above all things. And we can be deceived and lulled into a false sense of security, thinking that we've got it all figured out. Real life is messy, so retreating from having to deal with our sin and the sins of others is very, very attractive. All to say that we are simply emphasizing our personal spirituality. It's attractive because it points out the church's faults. Some people love, especially if they've been hurt by the church or hurt by people in the church, and if you're a Christian long enough, it's going to happen, promise, um, that it's really fun for some people to, as Spurgeon pointed out, to point at the church and look at everything that they see wrong with it and, uh, and complain about it and create movements to, uh, uh, to rebel against it. Um, now, the good of it is that uh, there maybe is an idealistic view of the church. Here's what the church should look like. Here's what the church should be doing. We should always be focused on that and looking to that. Uh, but an ideal can do one of two things. It can either prompt us to work toward greater fulfillment of the gospel mission, or it can paralyze us to the point that we give up and walk away. And what a churchless gospel does is causes us to simply turn away and say, I don't want anything to do with it. So the faults that we see in the church motivate us to, uh, to run away instead of pursuing greater holiness, to pursuing a greater, uh, a greater focus on the mission that we are called to. So no local church is perfect. I love this phrase uh, often said, if a church is perfect, um, then you're not going to be a member of it. <laughs> uh, I know very well my own heart enough to know that I would not be a member of a perfect church. I would be the first one there to mess it up. Um, and if Jesus, in the end, is content to give his life for the unruly church full of people who tend to be hypocrites every now and then, and who get lazy and don't strive for everything we want them to strive for, if Jesus is content enough to give his life for those people, then should we not seek satisfaction in serving that same group of people, even if it doesn't turn out how exactly how we want it? So it's attractive because it's a lot easier to point out faults than it is to be a part of a solution moving toward greater obedience to the gospel. It frees us from having to submit ourselves to authority outside of ourselves. We've already mentioned that, so we don't need to dwell on that. But it's, it's a lot easier to be a part of something where uh, there is no authority. Uh, one of the purposes of authority in the church, the authority we all have over one another because we're in covenant relationship with each other, the authority of the church institutionally, the authority of the church given to those in leadership, 
all of this is purposed by God in order to be a deterrent of sin, just like God's law, as we looked at on Sunday. Um, that is one reason for discipline within the church. Now, obviously, we don't want our motivation for not sinning to be that I don't want to be disciplined by the church, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It moves us toward considering the fact this is sin, and now I need to deal with that instead of just doing it because I have no accountability. So, how do we counter this? Well, I think the question to ask those who hold to a churchless gospel is, which of the early churches do you want to be like? Now, think about that. What, do you, what you know of all the early churches that we read about in the Bible? Um, perhaps you want to be like the church of Corinth. They took pride in a man's incestuous relationship and their acceptance of him. Uh, and meanwhile, the worship gatherings were, uh, were out of control. People were getting drunk. Uh, everyone was just kind of standing up and talking as they wanted. Is that what we, is that what we want to be like in our gatherings in our homes? Uh, perhaps we want to be like the church at Galatia. Remember, Paul said, I cannot believe you so quickly and so easily fell into false teaching. There's people coming here teaching you a gospel contrary to the one that I preached. And anyone who comes to you doing that, in fact, even if it's me or an angel from heaven and we preach any gospel other than the one that you've heard previously, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. In other words, to hell with him. Is that the church we want to be, the church at Galatia? How about the church at Thessalonica? They were, uh, they were grieving in a worldly way. They had no hope for the death of their loved ones. Um, they, they had no hope for the return of Christ, and so they wailed and they mourned just like uh, those who were in the world. They had no hope of a future resurrection. Um, as I look at the churches in the Bible that are mentioned, and you can go, uh, go into Revelation and read, uh, the Lord has something to say to each of them that we're not going to look at and say, oh, I want to be just like that. Really? <laughs> uh, because they have a lot of problems. Now, we are going to identify with some of those problems because we're sinful people, we're imperfect, and we're, uh, we're seeking to work this out, but our sin gets in the way. Uh, but it's not going to change if we shut all this down and go move into one of our houses. Uh, the fact that we pay uh, Georgia Power to keep our lights on doesn't mean that we're going to sin less if we don't. Uh, it's a foolish uh, conclusion. Uh, the churchless gospel does not lead to church renewal, but to amputating the very things that God has put in place to bring about what he requires of the church. It's very, very important that we are not driven by idealism, but we're driven by what the scriptures call us to, even when we can't do it perfectly. Um, so, we're about out of time. I want to hear from you what uh, uh, maybe you think about any of this that I've just said or anything in general related to this. You guys are so quiet tonight.
sure. Sure. Yeah, they all come back to me, myself, and I, that unholy trinity, um, that I want, I want this, and therefore I'm going gonna, uh, I'm gonna to reshape the gospel to meet whatever that is that I want for myself. Yeah, that's a very observant, that all of them come back to me, and none of them look back to God. What do I want? What do I think this should be? Uh, every one of these that we've looked at has that foundational component. What else? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get to do what I want to do, and I'm not accountable to anybody. Um, you know, even as we think about, uh, uh, we can apply one of the lines from the, uh, one of the counterfeit gospels we looked at, the judgmentless gospel. Only God can judge me. Um, so we get it tattooed on our bodies and everything. Only God can judge me. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach. Um, that's not at all what the Bible is pointing us to. We have a, uh, we are required to, um, to do some judgment within the church. Um, but it looks a certain way. We need to look at that. But if you want to say only God can judge me, then you're not going to, you're not going to like the outcome. <laughs> um, so instead, let's look to the gospel and see what God has done for us. Repent and submit to the authority that he's given to us. Sure. Yeah, eventually we get to a place where, look, I guarantee not one of us, uh, not two of us in here can look at every theological issue that we could throw out there and say we agree 100%. I just, I don't think it'll happen. Now, some of us will agree more than others. Me and John Miles, uh, we pretty much don't agree on anything. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but that... If, we, if we're looking for the church out there that teaches 100% of what we think needs to be taught and believed, uh, we're, we're going to be in our closets by ourselves. We're not going to find it. Uh, especially when we start to drill down to uh, secondary issues and things that really, at the end of the day, um, they're important because the Word of God speaks to them. Um, but uh, they're so esoteric that we can't even, you know, we're talking philosophically maybe. We don't really have anything concrete to wrap our arms around and say, this is what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. Uh, when we start to make those secondary issues primary issues, uh, we're going we're gonna to quickly find um, ourselves all alone. Um, and that's attractive to some people. It is. Uh, and it's, it's rooted in an arrogant, prideful spirit that says, I get it. Nobody else does. The church has been wrong since day one. Um, so I will be in heaven. <laughs> Let me get to Ron and then Scott. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yep. There are many, uh, there are many churches that... Um, 
they're right across the street from each other or they're, uh, you know, you can see five or ten of them in the same community that could very easily, uh, you all, why don't you just come together and all you pastors can be a plurality of elders together? Uh, you're in the same denomination. You have the same structure. And a lot of you are just, uh, you've been there before. You remember there a week ago. Uh, and you remember over there two weeks ago. Uh, just uh, bring them all together and be a church. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly right. Well, I I had more a uh, little more but we're we're out of time. So um I hope this is I hope this is helpful. Um I hope all of these that we have looked at over the last several weeks have been helpful. Um for two reasons. One, it's important that we identify um what is false teaching. Uh, when it, as particularly as it relates to uh, the, 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 that which is of first importance, is what the language uh, the Apostle Paul used. As it relates to the gospel, if it departs at all, one iota from what uh, is taught in the scriptures about the gospel, uh, then we need to be aware of it and able to identify it and able to counter it and challenge it and drive it out. Um, Secondly, it's important to know these things so that we can identify them and, uh, and recognize that we're all prone to fall. All of us, because of our sinful nature, if it were not for God's grace to sustain us and cause us to persevere and uh, graciously helping us to understand what is right and true, we're right there with them. And uh, we need to know what is false, and sometimes understanding what's wrong, what's false, helps us to have a greater understanding of what's true and right. Um, so those were kind of my goal in walking through these the last several weeks. So I hope they've been helpful, and uh, we can maybe continue the, the conversation in the weeks ahead. So um, thanks for being here tonight. I will pray, and we will uh, be dismissed. Lord, thank you uh, again so much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to study, to think, and, um, and to be challenged. A challenge that we not be led astray, that we not be ever in a place where uh, we are departing from the true gospel. Uh, Lord, I, um, I tremble to think of how uh, weak and fickle we are as sinful creatures. And yet at the same time that you've seen fit by your grace to reveal to us what is right and true, that you've caused us to stay the course and to look to the truth of your word and to seek to be faithful to all it teaches. I pray, God, that you would uh, rid us of any spirit of arrogance. You would rid us of any um, any ideas that we uh, that we absolutely know everything absolutely that could be known, uh, but rather uh, that we humbly walk through the scriptures seeking to be taught and always willing um, to change our minds and our positions if we are shown otherwise by the Holy Spirit uh, that we are in error. I pray, God, that you would help us to have that kind of spirit 
uh, that we not depart from the truth, from the reality of what the Scriptures teach us. Lord, thank you for all who are here tonight. I pray that you keep us all and help us as a, as a church um, to love one another, to be united and bound to one another, to be strongly tied to one another as we love each other, as we walk in faithfulness together. And, uh, and I pray, God, that you would help none of us to be tempted uh, to run away when things are difficult. Uh, when challenges are uh, facing us and when we are confronted with our sin and the sins of others, that we would be faithful to do as the Scriptures call us to and to not fall away and to not run away, uh, but to continue to persevere to make the body whole. Lord, we love you and thank you and we praise you and ask you um, to, uh, to grant these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.